So glad you could make it. It's a nasty evening out there. You'd better come inside, quick. Your nose is red. I'll take your hat. The little lady's in a mood tonight. Yes, yes, I know, I know. You told me that last time. Hmm. One more card? The fool? The fool. Oh, I'm so sorry. Ah, you caught me in a vulnerable moment. <laughs> come in, come in. When aren't you vulnerable? Uh, this time of year always gets so hectic, and I always feel like I'm leaving it to last minute. Oh, thank God for little helpers. Speaking of which... <gasps> the little lady! Oh, oh, my love, this is Freya, my familiar. Freya, do you have any words of wisdom? Oh, she likes you. Mm. Our little baby grown-up familiar. Mm. A mature woman of four years old. Ah! Wow. Oh, <laughs> the claws are out. You see, she's threatening me. That look. Oh. Make me a Yule log, mother. I demand a festive treat. <laughs> <laughs> no logs for baby, but a log for you. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't mind us. <laughs> We're having too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Darling, uh, it looks like it might storm. Love, could you go out before the weather gets a little too bad and mm. chop a little more wood for the hearth? It's a it little low. Looks like it's storming already, but I don't mind that. Mm. My brave soldier. Mm. Anything for you, love. <sighs> uh, isn't he divine? <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that mushy stuff. Get out there. I'm going. Mm. Anyway, oh, I'm so grateful you could help me today. I feel like this time of year can always get so caught up in the stress, and it's so difficult to really remember what is so joyful about Yule. Solstice, the return of the sun. And aren't you a little ray of sunshine? So today we are going to make, I'm going to say it wrong, um, Bouche de Noël or a Yule log. It's a French dessert that stemmed from Germanic or Scandinavian paganism, beginning as an early winter solstice ritual. It was later adopted by Christianity, where it was used to symbolize the birth of Jesus, but as in all things, we did it first. It originated as a celebration of the Festival of Yule, which honored the winter solstice, where families would journey into the woods in search of a hardy oak tree. There, they would cut the tree into wood, and there were many superstitions held around the Yule log. Uh, one European belief held that the log had to catch fire on the first attempt to light it, or bad luck would fall upon all who lived in the home. And another stated that the remains of the log must be kept for the following year's ceremony for good luck, which would extend across successive generations. According to the writings of folklorist Sir James George Fraser, 
Some 17th century families believed that a piece of leftover log could, if kept under the bed, protect the house for a whole year from fire and thunder. Is there a god you know that sounds a little similar? <laughs> it is believed that the dessert was created in response to French families who didn't have a fireplace for a real Yule log in their homes, but wanted to share in the holiday tradition. And in the name of holiday tradition, let's bake. Oh, did you bring an apron or do you need to borrow one? <laughs> Of course, we have a collection. How about this one? Hmm. It matches your eyes. <laughs> okay, so a little about our bake. Today, our Yule log is going to be made of a gingerbread cake, a cherry filling, and a mint chocolate chip ganache. It sounds complicated, but trust me, it's very doable. So, are you ready? Let's review our ingredients, just to make sure that we have everything that we need and that we're aware of the magical properties that each ingredient possesses. For the cake, you'll need three eggs separated for fertility, mysticism, and goddess magic. One cup of all-purpose flour for the earth elements of stability and discipline half a teaspoon of cinnamon for love, luck, prosperity, and success. And likewise, half a teaspoon of cloves for good luck and success in the new year. Half a teaspoon of ginger for protection and abundance. Half a teaspoon of nutmeg for money, prosperity, good luck, and protection. A fourth teaspoon of baking soda. An eighth teaspoon of salt for protection and grounding. Half a cup of molasses for strength and binding one tablespoon of butter for spirituality, peace, and relationships, and one-fourth cup of sugar for love, affection, and banishing gossip, and likewise, a little powdered sugar. And for the filling, there's going to be some repeat ingredients. To start off, you're gonna need one and a half cups of heavy cream for love, spirituality, sustenance, and motherhood, and then a third cup of powdered sugar, one teaspoon of cinnamon, one teaspoon of nutmeg, and a fourth teaspoon of ground cloves. One teaspoon of vanilla extract for inner peace, love, happiness, and luck. And a can of dark sweet cherries for love. And lastly, for the ganache, eight ounces of semi-sweet or dark chocolate. Dark chocolate is my favorite. For love, romance, sex, friendship, and grounding. One cup of heavy cream, again, for love, spirituality, sustenance, and motherhood and one teaspoon of peppermint extract for healing, purification, psychic powers, sleep, and love. The tools you're gonna need are various sizes of mixing bowls, a whisk, an egg beater, a saucepan, spoons to stir, a rubber spatula, a fork, and a flour sifter, and maybe a few more things along the way that you'll find in a basic kitchen. Are you ready to get started? Hmm. Good. First, we're gonna start off by lighting our candle. I always like to have a little altar in the kitchen, just to remind me and ground me while I do my baking. Take your match, strike it, and take a deep breath in. And exhale. Careful to not blow out your candle. Light your candle. Deep breath in. 
and out. And last deep breath in. Imagine the warmth filling your hearth. And exhale. Let's get started. To prep for your bake, 30 minutes before baking, separate your three eggs into whites and yolks and allow the bowl to stand at room temp. Uh, meanwhile, preheat your oven to 350. Line the bottom of a greased 15 by 10 by one inch baking pan with parchment or wax paper. Open your can of cherries, straining the syrup into a separate bowl. Now chop the half cup of cherries and set in the fridge until the cake is cooled. Now, we're gonna take a small bowl and we're gonna whisk a cup of flour, that half teaspoon of cinnamon, cloves, ginger, and nutmeg, and the fourth teaspoon of baking soda, an eighth teaspoon of salt. As you add each of these ingredients, I want you to think about the area of your life that could use the corresponding assistance. Love, strength, luck, success. Think about how your life has been affected by them in the past year. Now, in a large bowl, I'm gonna beat my egg yolks on high speed until they thicken for about three minutes. Beat in a half cup of molasses and melted butter. As I do this, I want you to think about what areas in our life we want to be fertile and how we can let our manifestations stick in this coming year, like the molasses. I don't know, it's a little silly sometimes, but magic can be quite silly. With clean egg beaters, beat egg whites on medium until soft peaks form. Gradually, I'm gonna add this one fourth cup of sugar, a tablespoon at a time, uh, beating on high after each addition until the sugar is dissolved. I know you're gonna wanna put it all in at once, like I do, I'm, I'm very impatient in that way, but really sticking to that tablespoon at a time will make sure you get a consistent texture.
continue beading until your peaks become soft and have a nice gloss to them. While you're doing this, can you think about three ways that you've experienced love this week? What are three ways that you can send it into the world? Hmm. Now I'm going to fold this into my yolk mixture. Really scraping the sides and making sure it's all mixed together. And then when that's ready, we're going to fold in the flour mixture. again just a little at a time because sometimes if you throw all the flour in at once then you get kind of pockets of flour within it um, which makes it a little harder to get a consistent mix on your um, mixture. And once that's all ready we're gonna transfer it into that baking pan and spread evenly. You wanna make sure that it's covering each corner. I know mine for some reason likes to kind of stick to one side and it's gonna come out very thin, but we're going for a thin cake so that way it can get a nice roll on it. And when that's all ready, we're gonna bake for nine to 12 minutes or until the top springs back when lightly touched. And with that, our first step is done. Oh, <laughs> look at you. <laughs> You're covered in flour. Uh, come here. Let me just clean you up a little bit. Mm. <laughs> well, are you ready to move on? Well, that's in the oven. We're going to make the filling. So this is like a whipped cream filling. So we're going to start by pouring one and a half cups of heavy cream into a bowl. I normally like to pop this in the freezer in the first place um, just to get it nice and cool and help with the whipped cream process. So then we're going to put a third cup of powdered sugar. Sometimes I like to make my own powdered sugar just so it's easier and a little more efficient than going to the store to get specifically powdered sugar. I can just take a little bit of sugar and a little bit of cornstarch and put it in my food processor and be good to go. So then I take one teaspoon of cinnamon, one teaspoon of nutmeg, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, and a fourth teaspoon of ground cloves. And lastly, I like to take a teaspoon of the cherry syrup from the canned cherries that we had at the beginning and just put that in for a little bit of cherry flavor. So now we're going to beat that with our egg beater until soft peaks begin to form. Hmm. It always takes a little longer than I want it to, but you just have to have faith and keep going. 
And once that's finished, I'm gonna just set that in the fridge until the cake is all cool. Hmm, my intuition tells me that it's time to check the cake. And it was right, it looks perfect. Okay, so I'm gonna put my mitts on and I'm gonna set this to the side just for a moment and let it cool. And now I'm gonna take a kitchen towel and I'm gonna dust it with powdered sugar. I kinda like to use like a, a flour sifter just to get it nice and even. It may seem a little silly, but it's gonna be perfect for the roll. So while we're waiting a second for it to cool, I'm just gonna go over the instructions for the next bit because it gets a little complicated, but I promise it's not that hard at all. When you're ready, we're gonna take our cake and we're gonna flip it onto the towel. Because you've lined it with parchment, hopefully it won't stick to the pan at all and it'll just fall quickly onto the towel. Okay, I think it's time to try it. Oh, this part always makes me nervous. Okay, um, let's pick it up and flip. Ah, okay, great. So now we take that pan and we set it to the side and we're gonna peel back that parchment paper. This is always so satisfying. Okay, now for the fun part. So we're gonna roll up the cake, jelly roll style, if you know what that means in order to let it cool in the shape that we want it to. So it'll retain that shape once we put the filling in it. So starting on the short side, you're going to tuck the towel and just gently roll it, trying not to break the cake. Ugh, I always get so nervous, but as we roll up our cake, we're forming a spiral. And here I like to take a breath and really think about the symbolism here. The spiral is the internal sign of the creative and spiritual progression. If you like, you can repeat the mantra with me. As above, so below. As within, so without. Excellent. So now we're going to take that cake and leave it to cool on a wire rack until it's completely cool. This is gonna take about 30 minutes. Set your timers and go. the roads look a little dangerous. We might need to stay in a couple more hours until the plows can come through. Oh yes, don't be dangerous out there, Bella. Oh, but we have plenty of firewood now. Mm. We'll be set to last the night and more. Oh, thank you, Mother. My dear, would you like to stay for a story? Is that all right? <gasps> Good, thank you. Oh, some peppermint tea, perhaps? Yes, please. Ah, you know I have some brewing. My love. Do you like any sugar in your tea? Any honey? Honey for me, please. I know how you like it. I'm talking to the guest. Let me see. 
a lot of dusty tomes on this shelf. Ah, yes. There's one I've been saving for a dark evening like this. Hmm. Yes. Something a little unusual. Dare I say, weird. Ah. Something by Poe, master of weird. The Angel of the Odd. It was a chilly November afternoon. I had just consummated an unusually hearty dinner, of which the dyspeptic truffle formed not the least important item, and was sitting alone in the dining room with my feet upon the fender, and at my elbow a small table which I had rolled up to the fire, and upon which were some apologies for dessert, with some miscellaneous bottles of wine, spirit, and liqueur. In the morning I had been reading Glover's Leonidas, Wilkie's Epigoniad, Lamartine's Pilgrimage, Barlow's Columbiad, Tuckerman's Sicily, and Griswold's Curiosities. I am willing to confess, therefore, that I now felt a little stupid. I made effort to arouse myself by aid of frequent Lafitte, and, all failing, I betook myself to a stray newspaper in despair. Having carefully perused the column of houses to let, and the column of dogs lost, and then the two columns of wives and apprentices run away, I attacked with great resolution the editorial matter, and reading it from beginning to end without understanding a syllable, conceived the possibility of its being Chinese, and so reread it from the end to the beginning, but with no more satisfactory result. I was about throwing away in disgust. This folio of four pages, happy work, which not even critics criticize. When I felt my attention somewhat aroused by the paragraph which follows. The avenues to death are numerous and strange. A London paper mentions the decease of a person from a singular cause. He was playing at Puff the Dart, which is played with a long needle inserted in some worsted and blown at a target through a tin tube. He placed the needle at the wrong end of the tube, and drawing his breath strongly to puff the dart forward with force, drew the needle into his throat. It entered the lungs, and in a few days killed him. Upon seeing this, I fell into a great rage without knowing exactly why. This thing, I exclaimed, is a contemptible falsehood. A poor hoax, the lees of the invention of some pitiable penny-a-liner, of some wretched concoctor of accidents in cocaine. These fellows, knowing the extravagant gullibility of the age, set their wits to work in the imagination of improbable possibilities, of odd accidents as they term them. But to a reflecting intellect, like mine, I added, in parenthesis, putting my forefinger unconsciously to the side of my nose, 
to a contemplative understanding such as I myself possess, it seems evident at once that the marvelous increase in late of these odd accidents is by far the oddest accident of all. For my own part, I intend to believe nothing henceforward that has anything of the singular about it. Mein Gott, then, what a fool you bees for that, replied one of the most remarkable voices I ever heard. At first I took it for a rumbling in my ears, such as a man sometimes experiences when getting very drunk. But upon second thought, I considered the sound as more nearly resembling that which proceeds from an empty barrel beaten with a big stick. And in fact, this I should have concluded it to be, but for the articulation of syllables and words. I am by no means naturally nervous, and the very few glasses of Lafitte which I had sipped served to embolden me no little, so that I felt nothing of trepidation, but merely uplifted my eyes with a leisurely movement, and looked carefully around the room for the intruder. I could not, however, perceive any one at all. Humph, resumed the voice as I continued my survey. You must be so drunk as the pig, then for not see me as I sit here at your side. Hereupon I bethought me of looking immediately before my nose, and there, sure enough, confronting me at the table, sat a personage nondescript, although not altogether undescribable. His body was a wine pipe, or a rum puncheon, or something of that character, and had a truly Falstaffian air. In its nether extremity were inserted two cakes, which seemed to answer all the purposes of legs. For arms there dangled from the upper portion of the carcass two tolerably long bottles with the necks outward for hands. All the head that I saw the monster possessed was one of those Hessian canteens which resemble a large snuff box with a hole in the middle of the lid. This canteen, with a funnel on its top, like a cavalier cap slouched over the eyes, was set on the edge of, of the puncheon, with the hole toward myself, and through this hole, which seemed puckered up like the mouth of a very precise old maid, the creature was emitting certain rumbling and grumbling noises, which he evidently intended for intelligible talk. I say, said he, you must be drunk as the pig, for sit there and not see me sit here. And as I do, you must be bigger fool as the goose, for to disbelief what is print in the print. Tis the truth, that it is, every word of it. Who are you, pray? said I, with much dignity, although somewhat puzzled. How did you get here? And what is it you are talking about? As for how I come, dear, replied the figure, that is none of your business. And as for what I be talking about, I be talk about what I think proper. And as for who I be, why that is the very thing I come here for to let you see for yourself. You are a drunken vagabond, said I and I shall ring the bell and order my footman to kick you into the street. 
said the fellow. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That you can't do. Can't do? said I. What do you mean? I can't do what? Ring the bell, he replied, attempting a grin with his little villainous mouth. Upon this, I made an effort to get up in order to put my threat into execution. But the ruffian just reached across the table very deliberately and, hitting me a tap on the forehead with the neck of one of the long bottles, knocked me back into the armchair from which I had arisen. I was utterly astounded, and for a moment was quite at a loss what to do. In the meantime, he continued his talk. You see, said he, it is Tibes for Zetstel, and now you shall know who I be. Look at me, see, I am the angel of the odd. And odd enough, too, I ventured to reply. But I was always under the impression that an angel had wings. To wing, he cried, highly incensed. What I pay do with to wing? Mein Gott, do you take me for a chicken? No, oh, oh no, I replied, much alarmed. You are no chicken, certainly not. Well then, Sit still and behave yourself, or I'll wrap you again with me wrist. It is the chicken of the wing, and the owl of the wing, and the imp of the wing, and the head tooful of the wing, the angel not of the wing, and I am the angel of the odd. And your business with me at present is is my business, ejaculated the thing. Why, what a low-bred puppy you must pay for to ask a gentleman and an angel about his business. This language was rather more than I could bear, even from an angel. So, plucking up courage, I seized a salt cellar which lay within reach and hurled it at the head of the intruder. Either he dodged, however, or my aim was inaccurate, for all I accomplished was the demolition of the crystal which protected the dial of the clock upon the mantelpiece. As for the angel, he evinced his sense of my assault by giving me two or three hard consecutive raps upon the forehead as before. These reduced me at once to submission, and I am almost ashamed to confess that, either through pain or vexation, there came a few tears into my eyes. Mein Gott, said the angel of the odd, apparently much softened at my distress. Mein Gott, the man is either very drunk or very sorry. You must not drink it so strong. You must put the water in the wine. Here, drink this like a good veller, and don't cry now. Don't. Hereupon the angel of the odd replenished my goblet, which was about third full of port, with a colorless fluid that he poured from one of his hand bottles. I observed that these bottles had labels about their necks, and that these labels were inscribed Kirschenwasser. The considerate kindness of the angel mollified me in no little measure, 
and aided by the water with which he diluted my port more than once, I at length regained sufficient temper to listen to his very extraordinary discourse. I cannot pretend to recount all that he told me, but I gleaned from what he said that he was the genius who presided over the contretemps of mankind, and whose business it was to bring about the odd accidents which are continually astonishing the skeptic. Once or twice, upon my venturing to express my total incredulity in respect to his pretensions, he grew very angry indeed, so that at length I considered it the wiser policy to say nothing at all and let him have his own way. He talked on, therefore, at great length, while I merely leaned back in my chair with my eyes shut, and amused myself with munching raisins, and filliping the stems about the room. But by and by the angel suddenly construed this behavior of mine into contempt. He arose in a terrible passion, slouched his funnel down over his eyes, swore a vast oath, uttered a threat of some character which I did not precisely comprehend, and finally made me a low bow and departed, wishing me, in the language of the archbishop in Gil Blas, beaucoup de bonheur et un peu de plus de bon sens. His departure afforded me relief. The very few glasses of Lafitte that I had sipped had the effect of rendering me drowsy, and I felt inclined to take a nap of some fifteen or twenty minutes, as is my custom after dinner. At six I had an appointment of consequence, which it was quite indispensable that I should keep. The policy of insurance for my dwelling-house had expired the day before, and some dispute having arisen, it was agreed that, at six, I should meet the board of directors of the company and settle the terms of a renewal. Glancing upward at the clock on the mantelpiece, for I felt too drowsy to take out my watch, I had the pleasure to find that I had, still, twenty-five minutes to spare. It was half-past five, I could easily walk to the insurance office in five minutes, and my usual siestas had never been known to exceed five-and-twenty. I felt sufficiently safe, therefore, and composed myself to slumbers forthwith. Having completed them to my satisfaction, I again looked toward the timepiece and was half inclined to believe in the possibility of odd accidents when I found that, instead of my ordinary fifteen or twenty minutes, I had been dozing only three, for it still wanted seven and twenty of the appointed hour. I betook myself again to my nap, and at length the second time awoke, when, to my utter amazement, it still wanted twenty-seven minutes of six. I jumped up to examine the clock, and found that it had ceased running. My watch informed me that it was half-past seven, and of course, having slept two hours, I was too late for my appointment. It will make no difference, I said. I can call at the office in the morning and apologize. In the meantime, what can be the matter with the clock? Upon examining it, I discovered that one of the raisin stems which I had been filliping about the room during the discourse of the Angel of the Odd had flown through the fractured crystal and, lodging, singularly enough, in the keyhole with an end projecting outward, had thus arrested the revolution of the minute hand. Ah, said I, I see how it is. This thing speaks for itself. A natural accident such as will happen now and then. I gave the matter no further consideration, and at my usual hour retired to bed. 
Here, having placed a candle upon a reading stand at the bedhead, and having made an attempt to peruse some pages of The Omnipresence of the Deity, I unfortunately fell asleep in less than twenty seconds, leaving the light burning as it was. My dreams were terrifically disturbed by visions of the Angel of the Odd. Methought he stood at the foot of the couch, drew aside the curtains, and, in hollow, detestable tones of a rum puncheon, menaced me with the bitterest vengeance for the contempt with which I had treated him. He concluded a long harangue by taking off his funnel cap, inserting the tube into my gullet, and thus deluging me with an ocean of Kirschenwasser, which he poured in a continuous flood from one of those long-necked bottles that stood him instead of an arm. My agony was at length insufferable, and I awoke just in time to perceive that a rat had ran off with the lighted candle from the stand, but not in season to prevent his making an escape with it through the hole. Very soon, a strong, suffocating odor assailed my nostrils. The house, I clearly perceived, was on fire. In a few minutes, the blaze broke forth with violence, and in an incredibly brief period, the entire building was wrapped in flames. All egress from my chamber, except through a window, was cut off. The crowd, however, quickly procured and raised a long ladder. By means of this, I was descending rapidly, and in apparent safety, when a huge hog, about whose rotund stomach, and indeed about whose whole air and physiognomy, there was something which reminded me of the angel of the odd, when this hog, I say, which hitherto had been quietly slumbering in the mud, took it suddenly into his head that his left shoulder needed scratching, and could find no more convenient rubbing post than that afforded by the foot of the ladder. In an instant I was precipitated and had the misfortune to fracture my arm. This accident, with the loss of my insurance, and with the more serious loss of my hair, the whole of which had been singed off by the fire, predisposed me to serious impressions, so that finally I made up my mind to take a wife. There was a rich widow disconsolate for the loss of her seventh husband, and to her wounded spirit I offered the balm of my vows. She yielded a reluctant consent to my prayers. I knelt at her feet in gratitude and adoration. She blushed and bowed her luxuriant tresses into close contact with those supplied me temporarily by Grand Jean. I know not how the entanglement took place, but so it was. I arose with a shining pate, wigless. She, in disdain and wrath, half buried in alien hair. Thus ended my hopes of the widow by an accident which could not have been anticipated, to be sure, but which the natural sequence of events had brought out. Without despairing, however, I undertook the siege of a less implacable heart, the fates were again propitious for a brief period, but again a trivial incident interfered. Meeting my betrothed in an avenue thronged with the elite of the city, I was hastening to greet her with one of my best considered bows, when a small particle of some foreign matter lodging in the corner of my eye rendered me for the moment completely blind. Before I could recover my sight, the lady of my love had disappeared irreparably affronted at what she chose to consider my premeditated rudeness in passing her ungreeted. 
while I stood bewildered at the suddenness of this accident, which might have happened, nevertheless, to anyone under the sun, and while I still continued incapable of sight, I was accosted by the angel of the odd, who proffered me his aid with a civility which I had no reason to expect. He examined my disordered eye with much gentleness and skill, informed me that I had a drop in it, and, whatever a drop was, took it out and afforded me relief. I now considered it high time to die, since fortune had so determined to persecute me, and accordingly made my way to the nearest river. Here, divesting myself of my clothes, for there is no reason why we cannot die as we were born, I threw myself headlong into the current, the sole witness of my fate being a solitary crow that had been seduced into the eating of brandy-saturated corn, and so had staggered away from his fellows. No sooner had I entered the water than this bird took it into his head to fly away with the most indispensable portion of my apparel. Postponing, therefore, for the present, my suicidal design, I just slipped my nether extremities into the sleeves of my coat and betook myself to a pursuit of the felon with all the nimbleness which the case required and its circumstances would admit. But my evil destiny attended me still as I ran with full speed with my nose up in the atmosphere and intent only on the purloiner of my property, I suddenly perceived that my feet rested no longer upon terra firma. The fact is, I had thrown myself over a precipice and should inevitably have been dashed to pieces, but for my good fortune in grasping the end of a long guide rope which depended from a passing balloon. As soon as I sufficiently recovered my senses to comprehend the terrific predicament in which I stood, or rather hung, I exerted all the powers of my lungs to make that predicament known to the aeronaut overhead. But for a long time I exerted myself in vain. Either the fool could not, or the villain would not perceive me. Meantime the machine rapidly soared, while my strength even more rapidly failed. I was soon upon the point of resigning myself to my fate, and dropping quietly into the sea, when my spirits were suddenly revived by hearing a hollow voice from above, which seemed to be lazily humming an opera air. Looking up, I perceived the angel of the odd. He was leaning with his arms folded over the rim of the car, and with a pipe in his mouth, at which he puffed leisurely, seemed to be upon excellent terms with himself and the universe. I was too much exhausted to speak, so I merely regarded him with an imploring air. For several minutes, although he looked me full in the face, he said nothing. At length, removing carefully his meerschaum from the right to the left corner of his mouth, he condescended to speak. Ho-pee-you, he asked. Und what, der Tufel, you pee do there? To this piece of impudence, cruelty, and affectation, I could reply only by ejaculating the monosyllable, Help! Help! echoed the ruffian. Not I. There is the bottle. Help yourself, and be damned. With these words, he let fall a heavy bottle of Kirschenwasser, which, dropping precisely upon the crown of my head, caused me to imagine that my brains were entirely knocked out. Impressed with this idea, 
I was about to relinquish my hold and give up the ghost with a good grace, when I was arrested by the cry of the angel, who bade me hold on. Hold on, he said. Don't pee in the hurry. Don't. Will you pee tyke the other portal, or have you pee got sober yet and come to your senses? I made haste hereupon to nod my head twice, once in the negative, meaning thereby that I would prefer not taking the other bottle at present, and once in the affirmative, intending thus to imply that I was sober and had positively come to my senses. By these means I somewhat softened the angel. And you belief, then? He inquired. At the last, you belief, then, in the possibility of the odd? I again nodded my head in consent. And you have belief in me, the angel of the odd? I nodded again. And you acknowledge that you be the blind, drunk, and the fool? I nodded once more. Put your right hand into your left hand preach's pocket, then in token of your full submission unto the angel of the odd. This thing, for very obvious reasons, I found it quite impossible to do. In the first place, my left arm had been broken in my fall from the ladder, and therefore, had I let go my hold with the right hand, I must have let go altogether. In the second place, I could have no breeches until I came across the crow. I was therefore obliged, much to my regret, to shake my head in the negative, intending thus to give the angel to understand that I found it inconvenient, just at that moment, to comply with his very reasonable demand. No sooner, however, had I ceased shaking my head than... Go to der Tufel den! roared the angel of the odd. In pronouncing these words, he drew a sharp knife across the guide rope by which I was suspended, and as we then happened to be precisely over my own house, which, during my peregrinations, had been handsomely rebuilt, it so occurred that I tumbled headlong down the ample chimney and alit upon the dining-room hearth. Upon coming to my senses, for the fall had very thoroughly stunned me, I found it about four o'clock in the morning. I lay outstretched where I had fallen from the balloon. My head groveled in the ashes of an extinguished fire, while my feet reposed upon the wreck of a small table, overthrown and amid the fragments of a miscellaneous dessert, intermingled with a newspaper, some broken glass and shattered bottles, and an empty jug of the Schiedam Kirschenwasser. Thus revenged himself, the Angel of the Odd. Hmm. Welcome back to the kitchen. Ah. Oh, don't forget your apron, because we're going to get a little messy. Can you do me a favor and go into the fridge and get the filling and the chopped cherries? Ah, yes, that. Exactly. Thank you so much. So now we're going to unroll the cake. 
gently as to not crack it. Ah, perfect. So now give me that filling. And using our rubber spatula, I'm just gonna fill the cake with about mm, enough filling to cover within one inch of the edges. Would you like a try? Excellent. So now take the chopped cherries and we're just gonna take a fistful and sprinkle them through. It'll get pressed into the filling once we wrap it. Very good. So now we're gonna do the exact same thing and roll it up again just without the towel to get the filling all rolled in. Well, Freya, doesn't that look absolutely beautiful? She says it's stunning. <laughs> so now we're going to take that and carefully place it onto a platter seam side down. Let's scoop the remainder of that frosting into a piping bag to use a little later and stick that in the fridge. If you want your log to be a little more of a branch, you can take a knife and add a diagonal cut along the short side of the cake about two inches from the end. Now you're going to take that diagonal half and flip it and add it anywhere you'd like. Just as a little offshoot log to make it look a little less like a jelly roll. It's time for our ganache. Ah, this is the easiest step, I believe, but the most fun. I'm a big chocolate fan, are you? So we're going to take our chocolate either chopped or chips, and we're gonna place them in a medium-sized heat-proof bowl and set to the side. We're gonna pour our heavy cream into a small saucepan and heat that over a medium-low heat until the cream comes to a nice simmer. Mmm. Ah! It's simmering. So now we're gonna take it off the heat and carefully pour it evenly over the chocolate. You wanna make sure that you do not stir. You're gonna take a little bit of foil or plastic wrap and you're gonna set that over the bowl and let it sit for five minutes. Is five minutes over? Uh, I'm a little impatient. So you're gonna remove the cover and you're gonna add your mint extract and use a whisk to gently whisk that chocolate and cream together until it's completely melted and smooth. Now this might take a little more time than you want it to take and the mixture might look a little um, separate-y and uh, PC at first, but I promise, stick with it. Just keep stirring. Try not to whisk too vigorously, or you may incorporate some air bubbles into your ganache, which no one wants. Mm. Once it's nice and spreadable, we're gonna take a clean spatula and spread that ganache onto the log. You just wanna get it a nice coating. You can choose to put it on the sides or not. I kind of like to for a surprise, but if not, then you can see the rings of the tree. 
Now you're going to take a fork once the ganache is slightly set and you're going to create little bark indents by pressing down and pulling towards you. Press and pull, press and pull, gently. And once it's completely covered and looks like a log, you're going to take a little powdered sugar and your flour sifter and just cover it with powdered sugar, like gently fallen snow. Now you can choose to decorate it with anything you'd like. Some mint leaves, some cranberries, maybe a little piped filling for snow. I'm so proud of you. Thanks for helping me today. What was that, Freya? Oh. She says it's time for you to go, I'm afraid. I'm afraid the little lady has come to a decision, and what she says goes. As we all know, the little lady's word is law. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. You've really been so much help. Thank you. I don't know how we could have done it without you. You'll have to come back tomorrow for our celebration. Please. We would love to have you back. Bring a friend. Please. Travel safe now. Seriously, be careful on those roads. Home safe. Oh, take this vial. It's for protection. Just some mugwort and lavender. You know, the usual. Just the usual. Nothing strange. Don't forget to tie your shoe. And once you get home, be careful to check for spirits. The Haunted Hearth was written, directed, and produced by Sarah Lee Harder and Kevin Leon Cook.